Cam. And I'm Chris. Uh, hey, I'm Matt Presley. Hey, we have a <laughs> yeah. third person on today. It is author Matt Presley. He has the Souls Harvest series, uh, which I have loved both of. Gave him both five-star reviews. As did I. As did Chris. Anyways, Ooh. this is the Nerd Book Review, and today we're going to do a real book review. But Matt, how are you today? I'm doing very well. Awesome. Hey, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about the Powder Mage series, and uh, you mentioned that you'd like to come on and talk about it, and Chris and I are both pretty excited about that. Yeah, big fan. It's uh, we're, As we were just saying offline, like there aren't many Flintlock fantasies that are really recognized, and this one's top of the pack. So uh, working within the genre myself, I, you know, anything to promote the, the subgenre. Yeah, and uh, we will make sure that we talk about uh, your book at least a little bit, and uh, at some point we'll talk about Sigil as well, the uh, organization that you're involved with, actually that you set up. Yeah, <laughs> that was a group effort. <laughs> a group effort that you, uh, I think, have done the lion's share of work on, though. Well, I'm blushing. <laughs> All righty. So today we are going to be reviewing the first book in the Powder Mage trilogy by Brian McClellan, um, which, uh, promise of blood, that's the word I was looking for, or the name. It is 560 pages long. It was published in 2013. It is the first book in the Powder Mage trilogy, as I've mentioned. It is a finished trilogy. The second set in the series has two of the three books out already. Uh, Brian McClellan is an American who, Matt, you uh, told me he worked uh, through the Brandon Sanderson writing workshop. I think he was an actual student at BYU, Oh, um, if memory serves. This is half remembered from I think a podcast that he did once in future podcast or maybe it was the marketing podcast but he uh yeah was a, I believe a student like went was his writing uh student for more than one year oh that's cool and yeah uh, you are I'm, I'm sure that you're correct on the um the him um being a student of uh Sanderson's because I was reading that on uh reddit about his like on his bio so mm-hmm. that was mentioned Oh, there you go. I would explain a lot of the world building, huh? Yeah, I know, which really had that feel. All right, Chris, would you be so kind as to read the fairly long Goodreads blurb? Yeah, uh, quick point of order. Are we Tomas? Yeah. And Adamot? Sure, that's what I... That that work? I try to throw an accent at Adamant. Yeah, (laughs) Adamant? Yeah, Adamant. He had a comeback in uh, yeah after his singing career in the eighties. Yeah. All right, here we go. <clears throat> it's a bloody business overthrowing a king. Field Marshal Tomas's coup against his king sent corrupt aristocrats to the guillotine and brought bread to the starving. But it also provoked war with the nine nations, internal attacks by royalist fanatics, and the greedy to scramble for money and power by Tomas's supposed allies, the church, workers' unions, and mercenary forces. Stretched to his limit, Tomas is relying heavily on his few remaining powder mages, including the embittered Taniel, a brilliant marksman who also happens to be his estranged son, and Adamat, a retired police inspector whose, ro- whose loyalty is being tested by blackmail. But when gods are involved... Now as attacks batter them from within and without, the credulous are whispering about omens of death and destruction. Just old peasant legends about the gods waking to walk the earth. No modern educated man believes that sort of thing, but they should. 
I'm just gonna, the rest looks like description. I'm that just gonna, sucked. I'm just going to say that it's your hangover. Usually Chris prides himself on doing this in one take. Yeah. But uh, eh, it happens. You know, I forgot, <laughs> to, I forgot to write my own take, so let's do it real quick. Uh, lots of magic, lots of killing. There we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Matt, did you have a take? Uh, yeah. Um, let's see where it is in my notes. Okay, yeah, here we go. Uh, Promise of Blood is a tale of revolution, aided by his cabal of magic users who derive their power from gunpowder. An embittered general realizes overthrowing the king is just the first step to keeping his people safe. Arcane machinations, an invasion from another nation, and a mysterious utterance tests his mettle as he discovers that even the gods themselves may stand in his way. That's a good one. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's what well, good reasons should have been. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do um, on my day job. I uh, I work. Uh, we do screenplays, and so we have to write log lines. So I write, th- you know, twenty log lines a day. So if I <laughs> if I can't <laughs> condense it into two sentences, that's you know I, I don't deserve to have a job. <laughs> yeah. So um, my first big takes on the the book itself is that it had a great magic system that while being like fairly complicated was really easy to understand mm-hmm. i thought it was one of the better magic systems that i've ever uh, dealt with in a in a book in general mm-hmm. yeah it has a, a wide variety of yeah. abilities but it also was kind of a, a an easy it was set up easily so that you could you could easily remember who had what and could do what yeah yeah, it was probably one of the, and it was interesting because he had basically like three magic systems that overlapped, but without ever actually, I guess they didn't overlap. Three parallel magic systems, which was really impressive, and they were all consistent and logical and pretty simple to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there's actually technically a fourth magic system as well, even though only one person will use the fourth one. <laughs> yeah. Matt. Do they explain that in later books? Yeah, oh, yeah, they do. I guess. Okay. Uh, you know what? I shouldn't have read the entire trilogy in, in <laughs> about seven days because it's, it's so, going to be a blur. There's going to be a few things that are blur that I'll have to remember not to uh, spoil there. Now, Matt, as someone who's created your own magic system, which is uh, also pretty easy to understand, what are some of the things that you need to really think about when you are creating a magic system for a world? Oh, crud. Um, actually, this is what my other podcast I did a few days ago was about, and so I should probably pull up those notes. But um, <laughs> really, um, so how familiar is everyone with Sanderson's Laws? Uh, no. Not, not nope. particularly. <laughs> Let's have them. All right, so Sanderson's Laws are, um, this is what kind of brought into the idea of hard magic versus soft magic. Oh, okay. Uh, no, soft, I understand. Uh, uh, self-magic being, you know, the type that, oh, it's mysterious, it's kind of cool, but, you know, we don't really understand it. Hard magic being the almost lit RPG of, like, this equals this. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what's going to happen. And his first law, which is the most important one, is the use of magic. Um, ah, let's try to is like, directly proportional to solving a problem as the uh, audience understands it. So that's the, the Gandalf conundrum which mm-hmm. is like if Gandalf has so many powers, what are they and why doesn't he ever use them? And that's because Tolkien was really on the soft magic side because there was magic and it did stuff, but there were no rules to it. So Gandalf couldn't do anything because that would be, however you say, ex machina. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, you know, so Sanderson and McClellan 
obviously side on the hard magic, as do I, in which the audience needs to understand it if it's going to play a, a point in the story. So when creating the world, like, at least personally speaking, and I'm sure they were uh, both on this too, like it's the magic system is from the ground up. You need to, like from the creation of the world on, and it needs to be consistent and complete, or at least give the sense of completion. And it has to be consistent. I already said consistent. And it has to be logical. That's another thing. So I think McClellan definitely did that in this one, or even to the privileged and their magic abilities, each tied to a finger and their gloves. Like it was all very well thought out. Yeah. And I think, and I think that adding the knacked too, which is kind of like the one, the one superpower, was just a lot of fun, and probably made it, uh, things a lot easier for him too. With um, the way Adamat was, you know, always being able to remember, having that perfect recall. And yeah, I didn't didn't even think about him as being. I think some, uh, he really was a great exposition device. Oh, he really mm-hmm. was, and, and you know, they actually I thought had a surprising amount of um, action scenes for Adamat, being you know the person that basically set the intrigue up for the story. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he definitely did not fall down the Hermione trap of exposition delivery. Like it was (laughs) much more natural and like he had a reason to be hunting down all this information and then being able to recall it perfectly. Yeah. And then, so just real quick, we probably ought to describe the, uh, I don't know what my uh, spelling is there on privileged, but um, so you have the privileged who are basically like your standard mages, uh, wizards in a lot of series. Uh, the powder mages, who are real cool, basically they snort uh, <laughs> gunpowder like cocaine, and it gives them uh, superhuman ability to, uh, they can detonate the gu- uh, gunpowder and like sh- use the, the force to push uh, bullets around. Mm-hmm. As a general rule, that's what they do. Uh, very powerful ones are able to detonate it from you know, varying distances. Seems like individual people have different things that they're, they kind of have the, that is their little special ability. Uh, then we have the knacked who are people that can sense magic, and they have one thing that they do that is special. So Adamat, who is um, the inspector that was mentioned in the blurb, he has perfect recall. So he will read like a book at one point in it. Uh, He reads like an entire series of books and doesn't remember anything at that moment, but he's able to go back and, and read the, you know, get more detail out of it as he goes through. And there's and then another guy uh, who doesn't need to sleep. Oh yeah, so that, so he'll be the bodyguard for uh, Tomas. Right. And and it's so it's yeah each person gets one ability and that was the one thing I did not like on the magic system is that they also had the third eye so they could sense magic and it just didn't seem to gel with it. It's like it made sense the powder mages could and the regular mages could but I don't know why then I don't know why the knack having that ability bothered me. Oh, I think that it was described as as being something that uh, proved that you had the knack and you weren't just lying. Yeah. But I understand oh, what you're yeah. saying. It did make most of them sick, though, the people when they tried to open their third eye who weren't, right. uh, who didn't use it regularly, like the powder mages and the, the privileged. Yeah. So, I think oh, go ahead, sorry. No, no, no. I think it was, yeah, Olam. Olam, they were the bodyguard. He was, mm-hmm. he yeah. said something to that effect. But I, th- I think Daniel was because he was just, you know, drugged out at the time. <laughs> he had trouble <laughs> yeah. with this or die all yeah. the time. Yep. Uh, Chris or Matt, do you guys want to talk about the uh, point of view characters real quick? Because I think uh, there's, there's four of them in this book. 
I feel I've been hogging it, so I would uh, I will defer. <laughs> okay. Well, I was going to let you guys do the heavy lifting. <laughs> Basically, what happens, our, our first chapter starts off with Tomas having just killed the king of Adro. Um, and rounding up kind of the, the royal family and... All the nobles. Yeah. Yeah, and the privileged. Uh, he killed all them in their sleep, or at least most of them. Uh, his, the powder mages and the privileged hate each other. Uh, privileged are allergic to gunpowder, can't have it anywhere near them, and they don't like that uh, the privileged have, like, their own magic system is uh, far more uh, of a ranged thing. So, like, uh, the average powder mage can use uh, gunpowder to push a bullet, like, a mile, so they can kill a privileged easily from distance, but at, a, at close range than a privileged is, ha- is generally has the, yeah, has the power. Uh, Tenniel Two-Shot is going to be the guy that probably has the most uh, page time throughout the, the book and the series. He is Tomasa's son. He is a super powerful powder mage. His nickname is Two-Shot because he's able to load two bullets into his gun and use the gunpowder to, uh, to hit two separate targets with that. Uh, he travels with a companion, a cop hole. That's how I... Pool is what they'll call... Or pole. Yeah, they call her pole quite a bit. Yeah. Um, Who even he calls a savage and who I think is going to be where my slight issue comes in, but I'm going to have a different (laughs) reason maybe than some other people are for their issue with it. Uh, Then we have Adamat. He's that knacked. He's a middle-aged guy, was a police inspector, now uh, does like uh, private detective work because he's able to remember things. He's also a very competent individual. And our last person who doesn't have a ton of page time in this book, but will become far more important later, is Nyla. She's a washerwoman at the beginning of the story for a noble who uh, the parents are taken and guillotined in the initial bloody purge. So that's that. That's our four big characters. Definitely men, male-dominated on this whole front. I guess, what what were your favorite parts, and what were some things that maybe caused some issues for you? Um, I was... Really impressed by it, with just those four POVs, just how much he was able to get into the plots. Like, you know, you have your almost noir uh, detective story. You've got a revolution. You've got putting down uh, assassination attempts. You've got an invasion. You know, there's just so much going on so quickly in this. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, they they even begin after you know the uh, the overthrow. The coup doesn't even factor. Like, is the inciting incident happens before we even <laughs> yep. in, are introduced into the uh, like they do he does not mess around and it is tightly woven together and it's really impressive what he can do with uh just those four povs though i had to i read it a second time or to go through it again i have to say though that i did not um I was skimming mostly for Adamant's and uh, Nyla's POVs, and I didn't remember either of their names. So that's not a good sign of how much I enjoyed their stories mm-hmm. the second time around. But yeah, they, but plotting wise, just absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, and yeah, and I, I uh, just to uh, I guess just to agree with you. Yeah, the the story is so action packed, even though it takes place after the coup. And it seemed, I think I got halfway through the book and thought, I don't think that there's been a lull chapter. Yeah. It was just constant action. Yeah. Well, and I think that the one thing, too, that surprised me with as much action as happens is that 
it's only like two or three months of total time elapses from when the coup happens to when this book ends, timing-wise. And yeah. I, it, I felt like a, it was a lot longer of a time period because of how much happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you have to have some sort of info dump or some sort of backstory. And he uses Adamat obviously, as his uh, character in this one. How did you decide? I know um, I felt more like it was your, your dual timelines, both the, uh, the past and the present. How did you decide to go about that, Matt, so that it didn't just feel like an info dump? Uh, I, I don't think I got away with it <laughs> too well. <laughs> but um, I, I don't think people mind the info dump as much as we bitch about it. No. Um, you know, we, going into a fantasy world and finding these new cultures and new magics and new lands, like that's the draw of fantasy. So, you know, the author actually gets a lot of leeway, you know, when they say, oh, the elves moved into this area at such and such time and they cultivated it until the, you know, that stuff's actually interesting to fantasy fans. So, you know, having just an aside paragraph or maybe two is fine, perfectly fine. And, uh, And I think I took advantage of that. Um, especially with the, you know, like, you know, the character will say, oh, like, this is the God. And the reason that, you know, we think this way about the God is this. It's, you know, it's taking it as if the audience already knows this and kind of restating it. I don't, yeah. So, um, I think I keep getting lost every time you ask me a question. They're terrifying. <laughs> That's, right. um, That's a good point, though, because, uh, I mean, with some of the really popular ones, there are entire books that are info dumps. Yeah. I mean, you have kind of the, you know, the world of the Wheel of Time and the, I, I don't know what the Game of Thrones one is, but yeah, I've got the big, whatever the big companion book is, yeah. I've got it somewhere sitting around here. So you're right, that really is a draw of fantasy, yeah. is that, that world building and the history, so yeah. it works out and fine. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, it's, it's Millicon or however you're supposed to say it, like, yeah, people yeah. are into this for whatever reason. I yeah. don't get it, but, um, I mean, I get it to a certain extent, but I really, it should be like, two paragraphs, three paragraphs, you know, page upon page of, you know, characters you're never actually going to meet that, that uh, kills it. Speaking of, uh, I think uh, another person in Sigil, uh, Dirk Ashton, I love his info dumps. And I was actually, uh, his second book that I just got done reading a couple months ago, he doesn't have any info dumps for about 10% of the book. And I was sitting there thinking, yep, here's the problem with... Uh, uh, urban fantasy is that once you get past that lore and and all that stuff, then you're just dealing with a modern, uh, with a, basically a thriller that just happens to have paranormal things. And then the info dumps came back, and I was like, yes, <laughs> now this is a good book. Yeah, I think yeah, a lot of people complained about his first one because he pretty much starts with an info dump and like pages of it, and and it's one of those things that why self publishing is great because no editor would have allowed that through. And but he was able to do what he wanted, and and it worked out really well. People yeah. liked it, so um, it, which, it was just yeah. so cool the way he did it, you know, for the with that lore and the history. Um, I did though a, a guy that I just I got sent uh, um, uh, S M Sterling. He does alternate history books, and uh, I'll admit that's my guilty little pleasure. But he created a new series set in World War One, and I finally found the info dumps that absolutely i gave that book a two star and i probably should have given it a one star but i did finish it so it was awful the main character is supposed to be a spy but and she would be sitting there in the middle of like a firefight 
and she'd be like, oh, the soldier that I'm fighting is clearly a Silesian peasant because of these shoes that he's wearing and this particular hat. If he'd have been Silesian nobleman, then he would have been wearing this hat and these shoes. And you're like, how did you just not get shot while you sat there and thought about what shoes they were wearing? And it's like, apparently Sterling knew a lot of stuff that he wanted to tell us. And, but it, didn't, it wasn't pertinent to the story. That's, well, that's the hardest part of the author like, context. So, you know, oh, the infodump needs to happen now because the uh, readers are going to need this information for later. Um, and but the author has spent years coming up with this world. And so it's like, no, they have this fashion sense, blah, blah, blah. you know, or this fashion that they do. And this is, you know, for yeah. me, it was the number of games that the uh, the soldier children play, like to teach them their spying techniques. I have like eight games that they play and I want to throw them in because they're awesome. But, you know, they're not pertinent to the story. So they get cut. So the um, but that gives the sense of completion to the world. Uh, if you can mention one of these little details you come up with, then you know, then it's it's great for the readers. They're like, oh, that's such a nice little touch. That's like, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, like in uh, this one, you know, the uh, the powder or the non-powder mages being allergic to you know powder, like that's just that's a cool little detail. And you know, just little things about how his friend's you know face would swell up just being around him <laughs> during a fight. You know, yeah. and like mm-hmm. that's a that's a brilliant little world-building touch, and. And then that's so that is the temptation of the author. When you have all those touches and you've been designing this place for forever, you want to give it to everyone and not everyone wants it. <laughs> yeah, and I know that you are the, the kind of person that has a, an outline that's almost as long as the finished novel. Yeah. Yeah, not, <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I wonder if that's the most efficient way to write. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, but I will t- say that uh, you have clearly built made a world that doesn't have a whole lot of holes in it as far as the uh, things that you might possibly need to include in it because of that. Yeah. <laughs> of course, as the author I heard, it doesn't have too many holes, Like, but where were the holes? <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved the book. I didn't have any, <laughs> yeah. uh, any things that I, that I was thinking about like that. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it wasn't perfect. Or was it not? Yeah, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> so <sighs> one thing that I want to, uh, that I definitely want to talk about, I have read some reviews that, that thought that this book was very sexist or misogynistic even. Uh, I don't feel like that was the case so much. I understand why some people might. I thought that the issue was more of a, class, a classist issue um, where some people... Uh, are just considered inherently better than others because of breeding, and even our supposed protagonists are susceptible to these to feeling this way. Like um, even Tomas, even after he knows that um, that Pole is a powerful sorceress, he still thinks like, oh, you know, she's clearly not as important as in as like her son or, or as his son, or, or can't clear, can't be as powerful, even though. She's clearly far more powerful and is told that, you know, by a god and still just can't change that thinking, though. And I think that it's a class issue myself. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think with Capoel, it was uh, a little bit of just racism. Yeah. Because she's kind of a part of one of a more... Uh, like savage. Yeah, yeah, well, they're considered savages. Yeah. They're, not, uh, they're not industrial revolution, which is the time yeah, period we're dealing rudimentary. with. they're rudimentary... Yeah, uh, like tribal technology. Yeah, tribal. That's it. there. It is. Did you see I, any of that, Matt? 
I saw it, but I'm totally okay with it, which is probably the wrong thing to say because it does make the world more real. I mean, racism is real and not just white and black, you know? So to have characters that feel that in another uh, world is, you know, it's not good, but it's more reflective of the real world fantasy. I don't know. That just didn't sound quite right. But No, I understand. but yeah, that's, I, yeah, that sort of thing about. exists, and you know, not not every novel needs to be a you know progressive utopia. No, right. and if we're dealing with, I felt like the world was far more uh, equal than it would have been in reality during the Industrial Revolution, um, because I mean, you, especially once you deal with, start dealing with magic, in some cases, women are you know when you have women who have magical abilities where they can wipe hundreds of people out at a time. Then you start to have a little more equality, I think, because of that. And I did feel like that was there. I mean, we had women who were generals in the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had women who were running armies who, you know, were the, the head of the mercenaries. <coughs> you have women was, who were privileged. Yeah, that was actually the justification for more women equality in, in my own series was specifically that of like, yeah, when, you know, when women are powered more than the average man, you know, then it would make more of an equality overall you know so yeah, I, yeah it's, I think it was fairly realistic and they're not realistic you know it yeah. was well done I don't know if yeah well I, and like I said I don't think that 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 it was really sexist or misogynistic at all I mean and for one thing I think that sometimes you know they like the men had some of the privileged men had harems but it was implied that women did too and just the magic system just using magic in this world a side effect was horniness so I mean, people are going to be having lots of sex, and their gods don't look down. They don't frown upon it. There is no issue in this uh, world with morality based on sex in that case, you know? Yeah. So, nope, go ahead. I mean, you should point out that they're also called privileged because when they're that powerful and they end up in the cabal, you know, they get everything. They get, you know, their own wings in the palace and with their own harems. And, you know, it's they really are that privileged. And Mm -hmm. so it's, yeah, like more power structure than I would say. But we should definitely have three three white males say that no, this is <laughs> yeah, not this supposed to take at all. Yeah. That'll definitely be the uh, <laughs> stamp that it needs. Well, yeah. I'm just saying that I think that it was a class issue as opposed to to being, spe- you know, specifically racist or misogynistic. Because for one thing, you know, a lot of the characters are actually, if you read their descriptions, darker skinned than in. Um, than you might think, just as especially myself as a white, a middle class white male, you know, <laughs> living in a very white part part of the world. Yeah, and, and uh, the, if you Cap, go back and look Cap at him, well, whatever. She, she was yeah, red haired, fair and red haired. I mean, she sounded yeah. Scottish. Yeah, so she so said, the, Scottish the, savages. Yeah, and so and then like their main uh, allies were were dark skinned, and you know Saban, who's his right hand man, mm-hmm. Tomas is is is. is um, dark skin, but I think that it's a class issue. You know, is the big thing that that even though Tomas came from low origins, now that he's, you know, he's basically a nobleman because of being the head of the army, and so he looks down upon um, others. You know, this is basically at least a little bit grim dark, even if maybe it's not uh, quite as violent, I guess, or as some. You know, there a lot of bad things happen. A lot of people are going to die, and Tomas. He's not a good guy in terms of, I mean, he's doing what he's doing to help the kingdom, but I think that's, that's more secondary, really, to his own, his real desires, you know? 
Yeah, so you have the moral ambiguity yeah. in your antagonists and protagonists. Yeah. I just think that some people want uh, a, a real hero, and there's certainly no real heroes in this novel. I think that's part of the... Um, I've been thinking a lot about Flintlock Fantasy and uh, Grimdark in specific, because, you know, even if they're not Flintlock Fantasy, like Rob Hayes's uh, The Pirate Story that I just lost the name of in my brain, but, you Where know, they're... Just, lie. Sorry? Where loyalties lie. Oh, thank you. Yes, uh, I should know that, right? Uh, bad bad <laughs> sigil member. Um, but, uh, you know, it had Flintlock in it, as did Heart of Stone, as... Um, mm-hmm. not I'm blanking on all of them, but Flintlock, or, or guns are showing up more often in books that aren't really Flintlock fantasy, but they're more of a grimdark tone, I think. And I think that's a lot to do because we're kind of recognizing how just guns take away some of the magic in that they're equal to magic as in all of a sudden you don't have to study and be one of the privileged to throw a fireball you can still kill someone from a good distance just by picking up a gun and pulling a trigger and i think that's a kind of reflection of uh, the broadening of fantasy and the darkening of it somewhat yeah actually that makes sense it's something i never i didn't really think about specifically maybe mm-hmm. um how's that treated i don't read a lot of urban fantasy but how's that treated in in urban fantasy because you would imagine that guns exist in those worlds well, no. i oh, i think about the and this is you know maybe a spoiler alert but for you know buffy all right that um the very well this season when uh tara got shot and the, the kids bragging he's like why did no one ever think about a gun before and i think that was one of the best <laughs> moments kind of thing of like what are they're acknowledging their kind of bad urban fantasy that it was all magic up until that point and then somebody's like all it took was a gun that's all they needed to do to kill the slayer and um yeah and that's so i think flintlock fantasy is when gunpowder is still kind of new and so it's a revolution and this one is probably the best example of it that the powder mages are new it's upsetting the old magic system um it's it's gunpowder technology intruding upon the world of fantasy um then you have your like weird west where it's you know a western and then all of a sudden magic and supernatural is intruding on you know modern not modern but like you know a, a technology kind mm-hmm. of thing and then you know then you have your uh, urban fantasy where they're either melded together fairly well or they have you know we were just talking about it on the other podcast about, and I forgot which one it was but you know if you were magic then you really couldn't use technology very well uh, in modern settings but you know so that's but I think that's when they're more equal in, yep. in urban fantasy and like Dirk he take he deals with it by that that like guns just can't touch the the firstborn you know yeah and so uh, um, I guess you can if you have powerful enough in that case maybe I've never read any of like Jim Butcher's stuff before I don't know have you I have that I don't remember them. Yeah, I've read a few. And I think with that, it's kind of, it's, it's so, I, I think with uh, Jim, but the, those are, the Dresden files are kind of soft magic, aren't they? I don't, I don't remember. Don't uh, the ones that are, but I swear that if, I swear that they were like bad with technology, if they had the magic, then. Well, okay. But oh yeah, might, you're right. Technology just sort of stops working. Like, he has a hard okay. time with his car because of that. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Okay, good. I mean, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and it, which is a pretty good system. I like that uh, because you know technology is pretty amazing. Like you think about you know the gods of old, like hey, I threw a lightning bolt and killed someone. You're like, yeah, I have a nuclear bomb. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like we have taken the power of the gods. Yeah, there you are. So, um, Matt, how did you decide on? the the civil war i guess in the first place for yours and uh industrial revolution and as well like how did you decide where that was going to be tech wise um i i'm kind of sick of old fantasy like i had given up on it at that point um and you know like the your vaguely medieval settings and you know i loved those books growing up but i kind of got sick of it and so I hadn't read a fantasy book in probably 10 years at that point. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm the first one who's ever thought of this. Woo, look <laughs> at me. So, but I was watching Last Airbender and I was like, this is amazing. You know, I like how they're taking fantasy and putting it into a non-Western medieval time period. And I'm like, maybe I could do that. So whenever I get an idea and inspiration, then pretty much whatever I see lying around just gets stuck in my brain. And I was watching the uh, Ken Burns documentary on the Civil War. So I was like, hey, I could take <laughs> Avatar and shove it into the Civil War and make everyone's life miserable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that it is something that that made your book stand out to me in the first place. I mean... There was a lot of things that made your book stand out. The the magic system being so uh, so easy to understand while being you know fully fleshed out and complicated, and uh, the the same as I guess maybe that's why I, I liked your book and the Powder Mage book so much is because while they don't really have anything in common as far as like storyline goes, they they both are set in an industrial period. You know, basically Civil War for yours, and. Uh, about that kind of a time period, maybe more like a hundred years earlier, if anything, for for the Powder Mage, thinking more like French Revolution. But both yeah. of them, though, are a time period. I think it's a little easier to, uh, to for me to imagine too, maybe because you kind of have like a bridge period there. And uh, yeah, I think it's something that just worked very well, though. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I would not mind being compared to this series. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it. it a revolution and or a civil war kind of thing. Like it was a big event that, you know, is a good time to deal with the aftermath of um, like it would shock the nation. I think in, if they ever read the book generations is amazing. And they point out there's a four generation cycle, except after the civil war, like it just skipped a generation because there was so much psychic, you know, destruction to the nation. So yeah, it's, it's a, both of us were pretty lucky. And actually, McClellan talks about that uh, in the back of the book, the first one, about his inspiration for it and wanting to do an industrial revolution kind of moment and just that amount of, of upheaval, social upheaval, and in this case, magical upheaval. And yeah, it's just prime for taking advantage of. I guess that's one, talking about the magical appeal, too. You kind of One thing I kept wondering or thinking about a lot was, Man, how many people over the years could have been powder mages and and could have been magical that never just never knew it because of the not having gunpowder yet? 
Oh, yeah. I wonder if there's, hmm. there's other ones that could be coming up. Like, maybe in the future, someone could guzzle oil. <laughs> <laughs> and how does that become the thing that you try first, you know, to, un- to figure it out? <laughs> like, were the gunpowder mages, did they, were they just drawn to gunpowder in the first place? Like, have an affinity for it before they... Yeah, who was the first one that was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay down a rail and <laughs> snort this up. <laughs> All of a sudden, they're, you know, hyper alert and aware and... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, just snorting it too. Like, yeah, yeah. that would be the fastest way to get into my bloodstream. <laughs> uh, yeah. All righty then. So uh, we probably ought to uh, start wrapping up a little bit of the review process here. Um, the whole how did it make us feel? Would you recommend to others? Kind of, kind of thing. What do you think, Matt? Um, well, I think we need to address one elephant in the in the room mm-hmm. first, and that is that terrible cover. I hate that cover passionately because I would have no idea that that it was a fantasy novel if it didn't see Sanderson's name on it or the word mage. And like, I, I love that it gets the gunpowder part across, but it looks like, I don't know, alternative history or something, or just a history novel, like a history thriller or something. Mm-hmm. But I'm uh, sorry, I've just had that note written in bold <laughs> on my, uh, so I had to, I had to mention that um, with an exclamation point. Um, so, did I, I, I really liked it. I gave it a, or is that where we're at yet? Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. I, I, I would have given it a four and a half stars. And, and that was after a second read through. Um, I don't read many series cause I don't have enough time. So, I, uh, but I'm definitely going to continue this one. So, um, yeah, it's great characters, incredible world, uh, great plotting. I mean, there's nothing bad about it other than it's terrible cover. <laughs> I actually liked the cover. I, it was the first scene in the book, but I understand that it might not get someone to uh, to read it just based on on that alone. Well, I mean, I just think it does the disservice if it doesn't get across the genre, and I mean that it gets. It's yeah. If you don't know that it's fantasy already, then you're like, what? What the hell is this? Mm-hmm. There you are. I I mean, all it would have taken was one floating light of magic or something <laughs> in the background, and we're like, oh well, definitely you know, font like fantasy. <laughs> Chris, what about yourself? Um, well, I I liked it. Uh, as I mean, as we've covered, the magic system is phenomenal. The uh, the action is great. Uh, I didn't feel like the characters were. I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of depth to our main characters. Um, there there were some big personalities uh, from ancillary characters that I really enjoyed. Um, but our main characters just kind of i could i always knew the difference between them you know as, as i was mm-hmm. reading i always knew where i was and who who was involved but i didn't feel like i cared about them that much um and then one other thing that kind of oh, yeah. <laughs> threw me <laughs> off <laughs> was and uh and and actually i had thought this and then maybe a day later rob hayes uh who is who has been reading the book as well uh tweeted or commented on goodreads or something about it that they aren't sure of the age of uh, Capoel. They think like early teens. And then as soon as they find out that she's 19, all of a sudden, like there's romantic and sexual interest. And I felt that was weird. Well, he, as soon as he finds out she's 19, doesn't, isn't like the exact line is, is I wonder what she would taste like. Yeah, it gets, <laughs> it gets gross fast. <laughs> and that was, uh, yeah, that was kind of jarring. Because yeah. it's, you know, if you go from kind of the uh, almost protective big brother role to all of a sudden, 
they're, he's looking to get it on. That was just weird. Fair enough. And and I think you know I'll I'll go with like a I'm gonna say four plus maybe a four and a quarter okay. for me. I'll keep reading. I mean I'll read the next yeah. uh, the next few books, but yeah, it wasn't it and, wasn't that like I'm gonna read this over and over again. Yeah, and I. So I would give the series as a whole my my five plus as I call it, you know, where like I just loved it. It was what made reading this series made me decide to change the format of the podcast because I want to be able to read more series, you know. Mm-hmm. But this book wasn't as good as books two and three, but I but it was but it was still I would probably give it like a four point seven five for me, not quite a five star, but when I read. But books two and three, book two are really, really good. Like they got that five plus for me. So I'm going to give the whole series, you know, call this one of my favorite trilogies now. But this book, I don't think is quite as good as the other two are. So like 4.75 is what I would say. Like it's, I mean, it's a five star basically, but there are a couple issues that I will, I will say like, I do think that the characters don't have a lot of depth. We don't learn the... Um, the motivations of of the characters until later books, uh, but I think that like if you kind of look at this as part one, you know, uh, and it, like you can't read books two and three without knowing like there's no question that this is a three part series, you know. So I think that uh, maybe this book isn't quite as good as the other two, but close to it. And uh, but I would if you like if you've read this or are thinking about reading it and you like maybe even almost love the series, but don't quite after the first one, I would absolutely recommend reading book two and three because they are kind of like Mark Lawrence. I, when the first time I, I read the uh, broken empire was when the third one came out and the first two were on sale. And then I bought the third one and I thought, and I, the first time I read it, I thought, Oh my goodness. Prince of fools is one of the best books ever. I went back and read it and I'm like, this is probably like a three star book as far as I'm concerned after I read Prince of fools a second time. But the, is that the first one in the, the first second? One. No. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm thinking of Prince of Thorns, Prince of Thorns. Is the first. Yeah, I'm sorry. Prince of Fools. I loved that book, Prince of Fools. Jalen is like one of my favorite characters ever. But yeah, Prince of Thorns is not as nearly as good of a book as I remembered it the first time around. But the whole series was awesome. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I look at this one. Yeah. Hmm. So uh, anything else you guys want to talk about with the books? And then I would l- for sure make want to make sure we, we get... Uh, um, this sigil mentioned in this in this whole thing as well. Um, no, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably going to go read the rest of the series next. Even though I've got the Poppy War next on my list, I think it, this will jump the Poppy War. So that's that's a good sign. Your endorsement just now was embodied <laughs> part of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I the Poppy War is also really good. Oh yeah, it is really good. And can you believe she's like 21? 22. Yeah, I know. 22 now. Doesn't that disgust you? You know what I was doing at 22? <laughs> Snorting lines off of a, using, of a Keystone light box after I drank the, the rest of the Keystone light box. I clearly was doing wrong things with my life at that point. Um, it's interesting. So I do the, um, on Fantasy Hive, I do uh, uh, playlists or authors put together a playlist. And I was lucky enough to do the playlist with her. And you can totally tell the generational difference. Like most people are like, oh, I've got goth music and that, you know, and she's like, I got Kanye on there. I got fans <laughs> I had no idea of. And I, it was just, it was such a breath of fresh air to see like, yeah, oh, yeah like, not Conan's 
uh, battle cry songs again, which has shown up more than once. So, yeah, yeah, definitely a generational thing. I, that's kind of crazy to think about that, really. I mean, because you just turned forty, right? I'm I'm throwing oh. you under the bus here, Matt. Yeah, 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 I did. <laughs> and yeah, I, I'm almost double her age. That's uh, <laughs> well, I'm getting close myself there. I'm I'll be thirty six this in January, and Chris, you're thirty six. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, you babies. It'll be 37 in October? <laughs> October, yep. Oh, man. So, yeah. So, But, uh, Matt, let's go ahead and talk about uh, Sigil, which is the uh, a group that you've put together. I know that you said you had a lot of help, but um, I think if you talk to anybody else, uh, and I have talked to several, uh, both Rob and Dirk, and they will uh, not hesitate to say that you're the driving force behind that. Would you like to talk about that? Oh, sure. I was not ready for that, but even though you've said we were going to do this. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Sigil Independent is a guild of uh, self-published fantasy authors. Uh, they've gotten together to try to model ourselves after the traditional publishing mo- you know, business model, but without actually trying to take 70% of you know the profits. <laughs> so we don't take a single cent from our members, and but we hold ourselves to the same standards of professional books. Our books are as good as anything you will buy from the, uh, from the majors, and we stand by that. And so we want everyone else to know that, you know, we're just as good. Oh, that sounded terrible. Oh, that was the worst. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, we are um, uh, pretty much everyone who's actually everyone who's been involved was a, uh, a semifinalist at least in uh, Spiffbo and Mark Lawrence's self-published blog off uh, fantasy blog. There was an F in there, I think. And um, and we have two winners: uh, the inaugural winner, Michael McClung, uh, first second place in Ben Galley. Uh, we've got you know everyone. Rob Hayes just won the last year and Derek is now a judge on this year. year. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we, I mean, we just, and we did not meet through uh, Mark Lawrence's, you know, uh, thing, but I just think that's a great yardstick to show that, yeah, no, we've got some just amazing talent that have been vetted. And uh, so if you have a chance, please stop by our uh, website and, you know, Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know at least one member. So please go and meet some of the others because they are amazing. Yeah, we've had at least six or seven of the uh, members of Sigil on the podcast now. Wow. I think it. You, Mark, Dirk, uh, Mel. Um, and now suddenly every, the rest of the names are going to uh, <laughs> to elude me. Um, I'm, I know that, or at least oh, we, Alec, we didn't have Ben Galley on, but we did a reviewed, reviewed his book. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and um, who else is in it? I think uh, the only person whose book I haven't, I haven't read at all is... Tamandra? Uh, um, oh, is Tamandra in the... the, the yep. she's in. Oh, geez, I did not... She wasn't originally, was she? she well, she was... Or she was intended to be. I had sent her an email, and I never heard back. And I was like, oh, that's too bad. And then Benedict Patrick was like, oh, you know, like, I'm hanging out with her. And she said something about Sigil. I was like, so it, it was in her junk box or her junk mail. <laughs> so she was always intended to be a member. But, uh-huh. uh, yeah, she wouldn't make the first one because of a junk mail. <laughs> uh, overzealous junk mail. Yeah. There you are. I, so. Her short story is my favorite short story in the... Art of War anthology, but I haven't read anything else by her. She gave, she sent, she sent me 
a a book though at one point and i just somehow it got lost in the it's shuffle in your, type it's of in a your thing junk mail. yeah it's it's somewhere i have the email but i never actually downloaded the book it's uh it's good it's interesting um and that's one of the great things about self-publishing is that a lot of people have can like oh it's grimdark uh ya and it it is like and she's like i've wanted to write a book like this a strong female character of this age and hold back no you know no punches but yeah she's you know and you know no one would have allowed that except for i guess the poppy war which is kind of grimdark (laughs) way but um you know so and so she put that out and it's done really well and it was serving a niche that you know no one was writing that so but people have objected to ya grimdark so uh be, be forewarned going in Alrighty then. Well, I'll have to uh, make sure that I uh, read one of the books. And sh- is she German? I think British. It lives in Germany. Germany. Okay. Wow. There we are. Alrighty then. Well, thank you so much for oh, coming. Oh, before we go, we actually have to at least ask Matt about Soul's Harvest. Oh yeah, I can't <laughs> believe we didn't actually. Yeah, I, I want to know when the third one's coming out. Oh yeah, uh, December twelfth. Sweet. Oh seriously, twelve twelve. Awesome. Yeah. yeah the the rough draft is done. Um, I took a week off last week for editing it because I just, my eyes were crossed. So it's done and we will launch right into for, I'm actually doing this right for the first time and having all the books like lined up and mostly done before. So they should do a three month, every three months have a release, um, to finish it. And three months after, uh, uh, book three coming out. I'm doing a book of the lore. So every time they mention a myth or Bible verse, basically, uh, that there'll be the collection of all of those um, that'll be coming out because they will they will come into play for book four. They're not necessary for book four, but they will add a nice little bit of spice to uh, book four, which will end it hopefully sometime in May. Oh man, that, and that's a <laughs> that's a better answer than I was expecting. Man, <laughs> yes. I know. I guess well, I haven't been keeping you up to to speed as I've talked with Matt. Yeah, about the, uh, as he's going through. You knew. I did. And you didn't tell me. About it. <laughs> Sorry about that. I figured that once I got the book, <laughs> that you would want to read it. So. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well, make, make sure to send some uh, some copies on as soon as I uh, actually get them together. <laughs> awesome. Great. Hey, and you know the Woven Ring, the your your first novel. I think uh, both of us absolutely loved it. I know last year it was on my favorite books of the year list, and I thought that uh, um, your second novel was even. Uh, it wasn't quite as epic in scope, but it had a lot more. It was a lot more personal mm-hmm. than uh, than Woven Ring. Oh, good! I can't wait to. to uh, I'm looking forward to it when everyone gets to see with the uh, third book, and then the fourth one I think will blow everyone's mind. So, awesome. yeah, yeah, we are fans. So, yeah, yeah. So, thank, well, thank you. you. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast today and talking about it, someone else's book. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad we got to talk about yours as well a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for having me. This is you. Were, you were my first podcast. You were <laughs> very sweet. So I, I always love to come back. Awesome. Yeah.